Hey everybody, it's Brock Falk, and I want to thank you for listening to this message from Heritage Church of Christ. We would be thrilled to share more content like this with you and make it easy for you to share it with others. You can find more messages like this on our podcast, or you can download our smartphone app by searching for Heritage Church of Christ in your app store. But most importantly, I hope this message encourages you to take a next step toward a thriving relationship with Jesus. Enjoy. Graduated from our uh, from high school and from our student ministry program, and he was trying to find his way in the world. He was one of my favorite students, you know, just a really, really neat kid, uh, and, and I, I really was rooting for him, but he didn't know exactly what he was going to do, you know, in this next phase of his life yet, so he was kind of trying some things on. And he told me that he had recently signed up to start selling knives for the Cutco uh, Cutlery company. I guess that's the name of that. In fact, he had just received some of his training material. He'd been studying this, and he was supposed to be preparing himself for the day when he would start doing presentations in front of potential clients, you know, like reaching out to people and trying to sell them, you know, knives for their kitchen and that kind of thing. And so he called me wanting to know if I'd be willing to be his guinea pig, all right? Like he wanted to do his very first attempt at a presentation about the knives to me and wanted to know if I would, I would, you know, subject myself to that. He said, I don't expect you to buy anything. I just need somebody to practice with and maybe somebody to give me a few pointers. And so I was happy to do this for him. So we scheduled a time and he came to the church office and he showed up with this big box and it says Cutco all over it, you know, and he's got his little portfolio that's got Cutco written, you know, stuff written all over it. He looks ready, but I soon found out he was not ready. Um, I should have, I should have known from the outset when the knife salesman asked me if I had a knife he could borrow to open the box of knives. Like that was a rocky start. But it got worse from there because as we opened the box of all of the sample knives that he was about to show me, I quickly realized that I was watching him see Cutco products for the first time. He had never seen any of this stuff before. In fact, each time he pulled a knife out of the box, he was as surprised as I was. And he was more impressed than he wanted me to be about these knives. And, and more than, on more than one occasion during that meeting, he would pull out a knife that was shaped different than any knife he'd ever seen before. And he'd look at me and he'd say, what do you think that does? What do you think this is for? And so it was a good time for me to give him a few pointers on some things he could do to kind of, you know, sharpen up to get ready for these knife presentations. Sorry, that just came to me. Thank you, Holy Spirit, right? Um, you know, give him some tips on how he could prepare and be ready for the next meeting. But it was a good reminder for me that when you're trying to be persuasive, no matter what it is you're trying to persuade somebody about, if you're in a sales meeting or if you're in an argument or whatever, when you're trying to be persuasive, it's pretty important that you have some firsthand experience on the subject matter you're talking about, right? Like if you're trying to convince somebody to buy something, if you're trying to convince somebody to believe something or to join a cause, then you need to have some working knowledge about the subject yourself. Now for the past few weeks here at Heritage, we've been talking about creating opportunities to share the hope that comes from our faith in Jesus. There are some Christians who have a gift for this, who have a unique spiritual gifting 
from the Lord where they have been selected. They have been chosen to receive the gift of evangelism. And every Christian has different gifts that the Lord gives. But some, some people have the gift of being able to share their faith in really bold and, and public ways and stuff like that. But every Christian, every Christian has the privilege of getting to share their hope when opportunities present themselves in their relationships. And so for the last few weeks, we've been talking in this series, Surprise the World, about what are some habits that we could adopt to kind of make some of those conversations more natural? What are some habits that we could pick up that would help to inspire some of those conversations so that we could just talk plainly, naturally, about the hope that we have in Jesus. We've talked in the last few weeks about looking for opportunities to bless people with some unexpected kindness. I mean, we're talking about the kind of generosity that gets people's attention and makes them lean in and ask themselves, why would they do something that nice for me? Why would they do something that overly generous or overly hospitable for me? We, we talked in this series about looking for chances to share table, to, to share a meal with people who have a different life experience, a different background, a different point of view or worldview than you do, because eating together creates a powerful experience for relationship. It creates opportunity for deep conversation and deep connection with other people. We talked about last Sunday listening to the guidance of the Holy Spirit and trying to figure out how to join what God is already doing in the world around us because we, we are convinced together that God is already in the, in the process of drawing people to himself. And so we talked about asking God to show us how we could be a point of connection for people who are looking for God. Those are some of the habits that we've already discussed. But today I want to let you in on a little bit of a secret about this entire series. See, in this particular series, I kind of buried the lead, you know, like I, I took the, the main point and I hid it down here close to the end. Because in this series, the truth is, this list of habits is not just something that I've made up or came up with on my own. What we're talking about in this series is adopting the radical habits that we learn from watching Jesus. We're talking about the kinds of attitudes, behaviors, characteristics. We're talking about the habits that Jesus employed in his own life. You see, Jesus was constantly on the lookout for ways to bless people, looking for opportunities to do something extravagant to help somebody else. And some of our very favorite stories about Jesus are from moments when he was just looking for a chance to try to do something great for somebody else. There's this story about him being at a wedding and they run out of wine and he and he instructs some of the servers who were there to get these big barrels of water and he he transforms that water into wine to keep the party going and to keep the leaders the hosts of the party from losing sh losing face you know in that moment but also he does it to just kind of help people understand that God is for them that God cares about them, that God enjoys being with them. Jesus was always looking for ways to bless people extravagantly. But he was also constantly sharing meals with people who were nothing like him. 
In fact, there were so many stories. There's so many stories in the stories about Jesus' life. So many episodes when Jesus is eating with people that nobody else expected him to hang out with. A lot of people thought he shouldn't hang out with. He was hanging out with people that were nothing like him, and in the process, those people who were nothing like him found out that they liked him. You know? Like, this is how Jesus did life. And he was constantly, regularly, spending time one-on-one -on -one in solitude in prayer to God, trusting that God's Holy Spirit was going to give him guidance on what to do next. He was connecting to the Father and asking the Father for strength and wisdom and guidance. And these are the habits that characterized Jesus' way of life. And so what we've been talking about in these messages together is giving the world a little bit of a window into what it would be like if they could meet Jesus in the flesh. But that means... If we're going to show the world what Jesus is like, we've got to have a little bit of firsthand knowledge ourselves, right? Like, we've got to have some awareness ourselves, some personal experience, some firsthand experience of what Jesus was like. Or, just like the Cutco salesman, we won't have anything very meaningful to share. But the good news is, this is not a new concept. In fact, I believe that knowing Jesus, getting to know Jesus, has been what Christianity has always been about. And I've got a, a passage of Scripture I want to show you this morning that's going to help to explain more in depth about what knowing Jesus means and what it doesn't mean. And I, I'm thrilled to show you this because in this passage, it's going to talk to us about setting aside some of the peripheral distractions of religion so that we can get laser-focused on the real objective of our faith. So if you've got a Bible with you, or maybe the Bible on your phone, or on the Heritage app on there, I would love for you to join me in the New Testament book of Philippians chapter 3. It's right in the middle of the New Testament portion of your Bible. And what you need to know about Philippians is that Philippians is an ancient letter. Okay, it was a, I mean, it was a piece of mail, a piece of correspondence that was written from one guy, a Christian missionary named Paul, 2,000 years ago, and written to a group of Christians that he knew personally in Greece, all right? And so we call this part of our sacred scriptures, but we don't call it that because God, like, handed it down, you know, this manuscript pre-prepared from the heavens in order, us, in order for us to just be amazed by it. We call this part of our sacred scripture because God was working in the life of its author and its recipients, okay? God was working in Paul's life and transforming Paul into something new, and Paul was sharing his own spiritual experience and his journey and his wisdom through his preaching and his writing. And so in Philippians chapter 3, Three, what happens here is that Paul is warning his Christian friends, based on his own experience and knowledge and wisdom, he's warning them not to get distracted or preoccupied with the markers of religion. He talks about how some people are inclined or tempted to put their spiritual confidence in their religious accomplishments. All right, some people, and this has been true throughout history, some people find comfort in trying to get all, of, all the aspects of doing religion right. And they think, okay, God's going to be pleased with that. In fact, Paul says earlier in his own life, he took pride in his religious resume. 
And he makes a list here in chapter 3. He talks about some of the religious rituals that he underwent and he, that he conducted. He talks about his religious pedigree and the heritage and the ancestry that led to his being in the place that he was and kind of having the opportunities that he had. I mean, he could trace his ancestry all the way back to Abraham. And he talks about his training. As a religious scholar, he talks about his track record of making religion the focus of his life, even to the point of being willing to persecute people who disagreed with him about important religious matters. Paul was a guy who was known for having taken religion very seriously. All right? I mean, this was his reputation. He worked hard to get religion right. He racked up a lot of religious accomplishments. I mean, he had a lot of points in this game. And he earned a lot of respect and a lot of admiration from the religious elite. But then something happened in his life. Paul's life and his priorities changed. And one day, he's out traveling on this remote stretch of road, and he has this personal encounter with Jesus. The story is recorded in Acts chapter 9. You can read it for yourself. But when you read that story, what you're going to discover is that Paul instantly discovered new priorities, reoriented the entire direction of his life. It's like those moments, maybe you've seen the bloopers, where one of the football players picks up a loose ball, it picks up a fumble, and starts taking off towards the end zone, and he's excited, and he's looking forward to crossing that line and, and hearing all of the applause and the accolades. He's been waiting for this moment, but what he doesn't realize is he's heading for the wrong end zone, you know? And while he's, you know full steam ahead, heading that direction. All of his teammates are chasing him, trying to stop him. And this is like what happened to Paul on that road that day. Jesus, Jesus finally caught up to him and got in front of him and said, you're going the wrong direction. We're going this way. And he reorients and redirects the entire mission of Paul's life, got him turned around and headed in the right direction. And once Paul got the message, everything about his life was different. He had new purpose. He had new mission. And all of the accomplishments, all of the training, all of the respect, all of the accolades, everything that he had picked up along the way while he was following that old mission, everything about that was now useless, meaningless to him. Which is why Philippians chapter 3, Paul says this. Verse 7, he says, Whatever were gains to me. Now we're speaking in past tense here, right? Whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. Which is Paul saying, my resume and my accomplishments are no longer helpful to me because the pursuit of my life has changed. The direction of my life has changed. And he goes on to say in verse 8, he says, what's more is I consider everything all right, we're talking in big terms here. He says, I consider everything a loss, everything about my history, <clears throat> it was a loss, it was a waste, because of, he says, the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. All right, now what he's, he's not saying he didn't learn anything, but what he's saying is that the value of knowing Jesus is so much bigger that it makes everything else pale in comparison. You got to understand the position that Paul walked away from when he became a Christ follower. 
Because prior to that, he was a big shot among the Jewish religious leaders. And it was partly because of his willingness to do brave things to condemn and persecute Christians. That was his passion. It earned him a lot of, a lot of status. But Paul's conversion to Jesus meant that he was turning his back on everything that had brought him to that high position. He was turning his back on all of those accomplishments and all those accolades in favor of something that was now more valuable to him. Can you imagine what it would be like to take your diploma off the wall, take it out of the frame, and tear it up? And to say, all those years of work that I put in, all those late nights of studying, all of the effort, all of the celebration that happened when I achieved that graduation, that's not important to me anymore. That's not worth anything to me anymore compared to what I now have. This is what Paul is describing. He says that the, the knowledge of Jesus has a surpassing worth. It's worth more than everything else he had. In fact, this is the theme of the rest of Philippians chapter 3, and it's the theme of Paul's life at this, at this stage. His focus is no longer on building his resume or earning the praise and attention of other religious people. What Paul is most interested in now is being deeply connected to Jesus. He says, I consider all of my prior endeavors to be garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law. He said, I, I've come to realize that what I can accomplish, what I can do, is not important. But to have a righteousness that is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of of faith. This is Paul explaining that the source of real life and the source of true salvation does not come from what he used to think it came from, strict obedience to the law. That the source of real life and true salvation comes from making Christ the object of your pursuit, the object of your focus, the object of your attention. And Paul says, this is where Christ has brought me in my spiritual life. Listen to what he says in verse 10. He says, here's what I really want. He says, I want to know Christ. I want to know Jesus. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and to participate in his sufferings, which is to say, I want to go through the kinds of challenging experiences that Jesus went through so that Jesus can empower me and show me how to get through them like he did. I want to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, or even to the point of death, he says. And so somehow attaining to the resurrection of the dead. He says, I want to live like Christ and if necessary, I want to die like Christ so that I can be raised like Christ. But then, and this is the last verse we'll read together. Then he says, but I'm still on this journey. And I'm not done growing. I'm not done learning. I'm not done coming to know Christ. He says, not that I have already obtained all of this. And you've got you to gotta understand, at this stage in Christian history, I mean, we're talking 2,000 years ago, at this stage in Christian history, Paul was probably the most learned, the most 
well-traveled, the most you know, prolific preacher in all of Christendom. Almost everybody at this time, almost everybody who was a Christian knew who Paul was. And most of the people who were Christians could trace their conversion back to Paul. They would have said, Paul taught me about Jesus or somebody who Paul taught about Jesus taught me about Jesus. You know, like a lot of people knew who Paul was. He was a big deal. And yet he says, I have not already obtained the level of knowing Jesus that God has in, in mind for me. Not that I've already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on. He says, I keep on going to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Which is such a beautiful way to say that. Because what he's saying is, he's reminding us that it was Jesus who started this process. It was Jesus who began this transformative work. It was Christ, Paul says, who took hold of me so that I would reach out for him. It was Christ who captured me, engaged with me, so that I would engage in getting to know him. How many times did I sing the songs growing up that says, I love Jesus because he first loved me? It was Jesus who started this. It was Jesus' initiative. It was Jesus reaching into my depths and darkness and despair and hopelessness and inviting me out of that. And so Paul wants to stress here because it's so important for us to understand that Jesus is the reason, Jesus is the impetus for the hope that we have. Now, you've, you've heard us say that before. You've heard us say Jesus is the reason for the season, you know. Like that's a common phrase, especially around Christmas time that we just wrapped up. But this is one of those truths that we have to hear more than once to let it absorb, to let it really take effect and take hold in our hearts. Because when Paul says Jesus is the reason for the hope that we have, he's saying that our hope does not come from our church membership. Our hope does not come from our accurate performance of religious ritual. Our hope does not come from getting worship just right. Our hope does not come from our religious resume. Our hope does not come from any of the accomplishments that we achieve in God's name. Paul has come to understand that the hope we have, the hope we have to share, comes exclusively from Jesus to us. That it's a gift. But that it's not just about what Jesus does for our hope of an eternal life. It's not just about Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection that make eternal life available to us. Paul says, I'm coming to appreciate the treasure of knowing Jesus now. And this is in the present tense. He's still living at the time he writes this, you know, and he says, he says, I'm coming to appreciate the treasure of knowing Jesus currently, actively, to understand something about the life Jesus lived and the example he shared and the truth that he taught. He says, for me, knowing Jesus is more important and more valuable than anything else in the world. And the reason I need to tell you about this, the reason I need to share this message from Paul with you this morning and to share it clearly is because it is entirely possible 
to be an enthusiastic, active, and impressive religious person without knowing Jesus at all. It's entirely possible to be excitedly active and participating in religion and participating with other Christians. It's entirely possible to do a lot of worship and yet miss out on what it means to really know Jesus. And that's not, that's not a crazy concept for you. I mean, you already know what it's like to know a lot about somebody but not really to know them, right? Think about your favorite pop star, your favorite politician, your favorite athlete, your favorite celebrity, a mentor for you in work or school. There's probably somebody you can think of that you know a lot about their story and their background and their accomplishments and the awards that they've received, but even though you admire them so much, there's a big difference between knowing a lot about a person and actually knowing a person, right? I mean, you could read my resume. You could read my LinkedIn profile and know a lot about me, but still not know me. And I just wonder, what would it take? What difference would it make if we could speak of Jesus with as much insight and as much familiarity and as much admiration as we do with the athletes and the pop stars and the celebrities whose lives we also care about? What would it be like if we became so well-informed about Jesus, if we became so connected to Jesus that we knew? We knew more about how Jesus engaged with people, about how Jesus interacted. You know, years ago when I was in college, and I've seen him make a comeback, but there were these bracelets that people would wear, the little fabric bracelets with just four letters on them. They'd say WWJD, which stood for What Would Jesus Do? And the idea was that you would wear this bracelet and that if you got it yourself, you know, you found yourself at some fork in the road in life where you had a chance to do something kind for somebody or just keep going on your way, or you had a chance to forgive somebody or not, or you had a chance to get revenge against somebody or not, that you, in that moment of decision-making, that you'd look at your wrist and see these, this reminder, what would Jesus do? Somebody in first service showed me a different bracelet. It said, J-P-W-N-H-G-H-I-T-S-I-T-P-F. Jesus probably would not have gotten himself in this situation in the first place. <laughs> I liked that. But when you ask yourself, what would Jesus do? It's pretty hard to know what Jesus would do if you haven't yet become familiar with what Jesus did do. In fact, I would say it's, it's impossible to accurately predict what Jesus would do in your situation if you aren't familiar with what Jesus did do in his situations. But if you dedicate yourself to learning Christ, if you dedicate yourself and focus your attention on learning Christ, that's the way to become more Christ-like. In fact, I want to suggest to you this morning that the most effective thing you could do to share your faith would be to study and imitate the habits of Jesus.
the most effective thing you could do to share your faith. And remember, I'm asking you to think about some specific people that you love who don't have the same kind of hope that you do. The very most important, effective thing you could do to share your faith with those people you love would be for you to learn to imitate the habits of Jesus. And thank goodness, thank goodness, we have opportunity to learn. I'm going to suggest to you this morning that as we study our way through some of these holy scriptures, these sacred texts, that we should focus particular attention on the stories that are recorded in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, because those are the accounts of the life of Jesus. All right, Every bit of this is valuable. Every bit of this is important. But it's important when we read it through the lens of Jesus. It's important when we come to understand the ancient stories and the future prophecies and everything in between through the lens of Jesus. And so I want to encourage you that especially if this library of writings seems intimidating to you, to just start with the Jesus stories. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. To start with studying Jesus and reading about what his life was like and paying attention, of course, to the teachings and paying attention to the big events and the parables and all of that kind of stuff, but also to pay attention to the things that happen in between. To pay attention to the subtleties. To pay attention to the way that Jesus reacted to people. To pay attention to the way that he prioritized his time to pay attention to how Jesus behaved and engaged when he was tired, to pay attention to the way Jesus responded to interruptions and inconveniences in his life, to pay attention to how human Jesus was, but how he was such an exemplary human. I want you to pay attention to how Jesus interacted with people. Listen to the stories. Reflect on the stories. Ask God to help you understand what Jesus' character and habits and demeanor were like so that you could try to imitate that in your own life. And pay attention to other people who have spent time reflecting on this. There are thousands and thousands of resources that I could recommend for you, and, and so there, it's hard to, hard to go wrong. There's lots of different studies on the life of Jesus. But if I was going to recommend a book just off the top of my head for you, I would recommend an, an older book that's by one of my favorite authors, Philip Yancey. It's called The Jesus I Never Knew. If you're a reader... And you want to listen in as somebody else reflects on the life and character of Jesus, then that's a good place to start. And there's lots and lots of other options. But I also want to tell you or remind you, we've mentioned it from this stage before, about a, a new opportunity, a new resource that's available. And that is this show that's out right now called The Chosen which is, it's in its fourth season right now, and it's an episodic look at the life of Jesus. And it, it's not following word for word any one of these particular gospels in chronological order. If that's really important to you, you need to know that going in. But it's the result of people who care about these stories, who have reflected and prayerfully asked, what would it have looked like when Jesus engaged with people who were forgotten by the rest of society? What would it have looked like when Jesus recruited simple, ordinary people to be his followers? What would Jesus' facial expressions have looked like when he had a hard day or when he was tired? We may not be able to see Jesus face to face like Peter and 
James and all those original disciples did. But thank God we still have opportunities to get to know Jesus. We have the chance to get to know Jesus. And we need to do this. Because if you think back to the story of the young man selling the Cutco knives, if we don't have any personal experience with Jesus, it's going to be pretty hard to be persuasive about Jesus. It's going to be pretty hard to convince somebody that it means a lot to us. And I believe what the world needs from the church most right now is for us to show them an accurate representation of what Jesus is like. You remember in kindergarten, every couple of days or every couple of weeks, your teacher would announce that glorious opportunity to bring from home one of your favorite toys and to share it with the rest of the class. And we called it Show and Tell Day. Historically, the church has been pretty good at the telling part when it comes to sharing Jesus. But we haven't always majored in the showing part. And I think we've tripped up there. In fact, I've been listening to a lot of different scholars and academics and theologians who are talking about some of the challenges and difficulties that the church today is facing in the world. One of those voices that I admire is a guy named Russell Moore, and he recently wrote about some of the hardship that the church in America particularly is facing, talking about people who are walking away from church or people who never have been connected to the faith and have, aren't really interested in giving it a try. And here's what he wrote. And I want you to hear this quote. He says, the reason the church in America is struggling the way it is, struggling to retain and attract more people. He said, it's not because people think the church's way of life is too demanding or too morally rigorous. He says, it's because most people have come to think that the church itself doesn't believe its own teachings. Most people have come to believe that we don't really think this story is important or true. And I think it's time we surprise the world. I think it's time we surprise the world by beginning to demonstrate the kinds of characteristics and habits and attitudes and responses that make Jesus so appealing to us. I think it's time we start surprising the world with genuine love for people who are nothing like us. I think it's time we start surprising the world by being accepting and hospitable and receptive long before anybody says, teach us how to live. Teach us what you believe we should do with our lives. I think it's time to surprise the world by being good at forgiving, which is kind of a trap because you can't become good at forgiving unless you've practiced forgiving a lot, right? Like that's a whole different sermon, I know. But you can't become good at forgiving until you've practiced forgiving quite a bit. And I think it's time we surprise the world with that. I think it's time we surprise the world by being people who like to have fun the way Jesus liked to have fun People who aren't dour and down in the mouth, but people who are happy and joyful and pleasant and peaceful. I think it's time we surprise the world by being the kind of Jesus imitators 
that people surprisingly discover that they like, that they want to be closer, they want to draw nearer and not push further away. Boy, if we got to know Jesus, if we got to know the character, the attitude, the heart, and the demeanor of Jesus, and we started living like that, I think the world would be surprised. But I think we'd be surprised too at how that's been what the world's been longing for all along.